Welcome to WoodyCast, episode number five. Before we move on with our next guest, I would like to say that we are on iTunes and we are on Spotify. So if you'd like to subscribe to WoodyCast, it will be dropped into your folder whenever we produce one of these shows. My next guest, well, she had a stellar surf life-saving career as a nipper and then a youth competitor. She represented Great Britain on six occasions and with national surf life-saving championships in swim, board and iron competitions over a seven-year period, she capped it all off with European gold in both the board and iron the European Youth Championships in Belgium in 2017. Following this was a successful season with super coach Michael King at Corumban Surf Life Saving Club on the Gold Coast in Australia. Arriving back into the UK early into the 2018 season, word was it that she was no longer in the sport and was heading to university to study construction design. This is a chat about complete commitment to sport and the decision to head for a career rather than push for further honours in a sport which had the lure of another decade of representative overseas trips and international honours. We talk about the early years, what drove her to be an impressively focused competitor with a zero bullshit approach, the learning experience of a season in Australia, and then the decision to leave it all behind, move on with her life in another direction. I hope you find this chat as interesting as I did. So please enjoy my conversation with Maya Garner. everything commitment everything in sport you know you can apply that to life and I think that's so important for young people that sport really is a massive it's not just an extracurricular activity you do you know it really is a life learning curve and think young people can take that away and apply that to life you know they're doing really well if they can do that Man, welcome to Woodycast. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't think it was going to happen, eh? Like, I know. It made me laugh when you messaged me saying you were going to uh, throw yourself off the entire if it couldn't get going. Felt like but it, we got like there it. in the end. <laughs> it's the first remote interview because I've, all the other ones we've done have been um, face-to-face, obviously. with yeah, I, needed to, I needed to broaden my platform so I could interview people from all over the place, you know, so. Yeah, the yeah. fact is over the hill, but we're, um, you know, we are doing it remotely, so <laughs> yeah. pretty cool. Wait, what have you been up to lately anyway? Well, I've sort of been doing uni from home. I'm finished now until September, but I've just finished second year from home. We've had all of our exams um, changed over to like online assessments. So just been getting through that really and enjoying the nice weather we've had. And then that's it really. I haven't had anything else to do. Just been twiddling my thumbs. And just uh, you mentioned the other day that you were going running and stuff. So what's what's that? Do you, are you planning on something or? No, I think I obviously really want to keep my fitness levels up. Fitness is like a massive part of my life. I try and incorporate different types of exercise into my day. I think while I'm at home, obviously it's slightly different. I don't have access to everything I usually would. So my dad has a little gym in his shed in the garden. So I try and make use of that. It's got a few free weights, like rusty, old-fashioned metal plates. So I use some of that. But obviously, other than that, I don't really have anything else available. So running, obviously, is a great form of exercise, especially where I live. There's so many sand dunes and hills. I do like sprint sessions, long distance, whatever. I just try and mix up a little bit to keep, my, um, to keep myself moving. Yeah, cool. Mate, after my last interview with, with Trent Herring from Newport Surf Club in Sydney, you know, you messaged 
and uh, so he gave me a bit of a different perspective on some stuff and I'd actually as I mentioned to you I'd given you thought previously um, and I did think about having a chat to you because of the pathway that you've taken over the past few years and uh, mm-hmm. you know your journey's been really interesting and I think that there's probably I think there's more of a trend now that there is quite a few boys and girls from the UK that are you know competing at a decent level and then they want to go to Aussie and do some stuff over there and I think I think inevitably, you know, there'll be a decision time in their life and I think that by having a chat to you today that we might be able to put some light on a few them, a few options on, on, you know, the direction you've taken and stuff. So, mate, can we – let's – we're going to cover a whole load of ground here today, but let's maybe dial back all the way to the beginning. Do you have any, any dreams of making it to the top in any particular sport when you were really young? Yeah, I think I was always very competitive um, anyone that knows me will say that in in all elements of life. But for me, w- not winning or losing wasn't really an option. I didn't like losing. I don't think anyone does, but I really resented it. And obviously growing up with two younger siblings, it, I was living in a house full of it. I was always trying to compete with Louis. We always had competitions over everything. And as a, as a young person, I did a lot of sport. I raced cross country quite um at a high level um I swam I did hockey netball all the sports you could really imagine in England at school I tried to do everything I tried to be an all-rounder because I loved it I loved um being active and I loved playing sport with my friends it was more sort of a social thing I guess as a young as a young person and um I never imagined that especially in life-saving that I'd get to a high level I just didn't see it as a pathway I didn't understand the process I didn't know that there was more to it and then obviously as I started racing more and more competitively um, and going to more competitions and then I met you and the game just changed Um, I, I decided that doing lots of other sports wasn't an option if I wanted to be excellent at something then I couldn't do loads of things I just knew that life-saving was something that I was quite good at naturally and I loved it so I thought I'd stick at that and then yeah it just sort of evolved from there I didn't really expect to be at a high level I never thought GB was on the cards and then my perspective just changed slightly so but obviously I'm really glad that I got to have that chance because not a lot of people do it's a real honour. Did um, your your sporting drive and did that come from, from my memory your parents weren't competitive in sport, or were they? What, what, what was their, what's their own background? Uh, well, you used to say that, um, obviously, we used to train out on the river and everything, and Dad used to come with us, just as me and Louis were sort of quite young nippers, as more as a he's thing. Not, he's, not a, he's, not a, he's not a natural waterman. <laughs> no, you used to call him um, Wolverhampton's finest waterman, and it, it used to crack me up so much because before we got involved dad wouldn't go nowhere near water he's like a he's, I think he's scared of it he can't really swim he doesn't mind me saying this he can't really swim and my mum's the complete opposite my mum's always been quite active she's naturally got a strong constitution she's she swims a lot she I think she um I think she held the record at school for the longest uh shot put or something like that so it's I've I've come from sort of a mixed background, but the the main point was that my mum and dad wanted me to stay fit and healthy. So obviously, sport and exercise was the way forward with that. And I always looked after my nutrition and cooked from scratch and things like that. So I think that was always part of it. I'd grown up like that, but I think 
the sport side of it. I mean, I don't know if it was sort of learnt behaviour or if it was half genetic. It, I, I guess I'll never know, but I would never have said. I mean, I was bo- born in Wolverhampton, uh, where my dad's from, so I would never have said when I was there that this would ever have happened. But obviously, when we moved down to Cornwall, our lifestyle changed and I suddenly became around water. So I sort of, it was fight or flight. I had to learn to swim and everything because... I didn't really have a choice. So you guys moved to Hollywood from Wolverhampton? Yeah, so I think I was four, so Louis would have been two when we moved. Um, I grew up, well, obviously had my younger years in Wolverhampton area. It was Telford that we lived in. My dad, my mum and dad both worked there, and it's where my dad grew up. So they decided that after being on holiday in in Cornwall as young people, that they decided to move. So they moved down when I was four. Um, we lived in Newquay for a few years and then we moved over to Holywell and that was it really. I mean, it was a massive change for my mum and dad, both being from uh, the countryside, but also sort of city life, but nowhere near the coast. And then obviously somewhere that they've been on holiday for years, then they moved their kids there. So yeah, we, we, we moved down when I was four. So I've, I've grown up in Cornwall really. And from Newquay, your parents bought a home uh, behind the sand dunes at Hollywell Bay Beach, which is then a natural progression to join the surf club at Hollywell Bay. Yeah, of course. Our um, house is situated right by the sand dunes. In fact, when we first moved to Holywell, our, I remember my mum and dad looking at the garden thinking, oh, I'm not going to plant anything here because the soil was sort of half sand, half soil mix. So with that close, that the ground is made up from sand in our garden. But obviously, yeah, the natural progression was that my mum and dad wanted me to be safe in the water to learn the boundaries of Mother Nature. So they uh, they, they they joined me up to uh, Holywell Surf Life Saving Club. And um, I would go down there most Saturday mornings when the training was on. It's like a two-hour session, but it wasn't it wasn't training. It was sort of we'd learn about the safety in the water. We'd learn the flags. Then we'd do some tide things. So about an hour of it was all, almost theory, and then an hour of it was messing around on a nipper board, picking up some flags, things like that. So it wasn't training. It was more just education. Yeah. Who was, was there much of a crew at Hollywood Bay at that time? How many kids were down there? I think when I started, Anvil wasn't a big club at all. It was really much the locals, the, the adults and their kids just down there on a Saturday um, having a barbecue, things like that. And then as I joined, I remember I really wanted to compete and there wasn't really anyone that wanted to do it. So I was sort of the only one for a few years. And then more and more people started to come as they knew that there was a competitive section there. More people joined the club and it got bigger and bigger from there. But when I started, it was a really small club. I remember I could probably name everyone in the club off the top of my head, to be honest. So I met your mum in a car park in Bournemouth. I had no idea what competition it was, but she, she hit me up and she was talking about you and Louie and wanting me to hitting me up about coaching and all those sorts of things and I said to her listen what how, how good do the kids swim and you know and you know what your mum's like she's like yeah, yeah they swim really really great I said take them down to the Newquay pool and get them to swim 800 for me and then time it and then and then I'll then know how well and we can go from there because mm. if you were going to go and swim 23 minutes for 800 it was like this is a pretty hard ride to hoe you know <laughs> anyway so down there and uh she taught, she did it, and then she rang me. But what she did was she timed you for four hundred, not eight hundred. <laughs> oh, Maya did really well. She just swam five twenty for eight hundred. I said Maya swims pretty well because she's just broken the world record for eight hundred <laughs> by three minutes. So you're definitely swimming quite well. 
and it was from that point where you guys sort of hooked up with me, and uh, and we had a, we had a bit of a, a bit of a crew going, didn't we? We did, yeah. I remember um, the first session that we did was on the Gannel at Crantock. Crantock is sort of the beach next door to Newquay, um, and the river the river flows through. It's quite a big tide push when it throws through. Um, so depending on which way you're paddling, you know the drag's pretty pretty tough. Uh, especially if you don't know what you're doing and I remember mum and dad drove us down to Crantock car park it was a, it was about this time of the year I think it was quite cold I had a, I had a hat on and I was wearing gloves and boots and my rhino rhino wetsuit and uh, we got down onto the um, shoreline and I, I had my green stick board and you were, you like you gave us this little um, like welcome speech and then you said at the end you said now the most I won't I won't try and do your accent because it just won't won't happen. But you said now the most important thing is remember this now. I'll test you on it. Always like stay on the drag, stay on the wash. And I was like, what's he on about? What's the wash? Like I just didn't I didn't know what was going on. And we we got in the water. It was I think it was uh, you, me, Louis, Selin, and Yazzie from Newquay. And um and we paddled down the Gannel. I remember it was like a marathon for me the first time we did it. We only paddled about four hundred meters probably, but I. My arms are going to fall off, um, and it's freezing cold. And you had your um, your wetsuit on that uh, you wore for the next five years in training. I don't know how the wetsuit's still going. And uh, and then we did that session, and I was like, "This moment, I was like, really enjoyed that actually. Like, you know, is this going to be a regular thing?" And I said, "I think so." And then from there, we just sort of you formed like a every Saturday session. Um, which obviously got gradually longer and longer and more and more people started to come from the local area and then even further away. And then uh, as soon as it got colder and the seas, seas got rougher, we moved to uh, Malpass in Truro, the river in Malpass, and started training on that. And we'd do like, a two-hour session. We'd paddle to the big boats that were docked near the King Harry, Harry Ferry and then we'd paddle back and that was our session so the sessions got longer and harder and we obviously got fitter and faster but that was that was a start for me and Louis you know we weren't doing any serious training before that we we're just you know going to down to the Saturday session having a dip in the water that was it and then you you started this program for us and we'd we do Saturdays and then you said, Right, you gotta you gotta get your swimming up now. You said you gotta join the local swim club. And we did that and then we just it, the sessions would add on and add on and, and then just all of a sudden there was this serious program that we were following and it was just it was a stepping stone for us. It was how we became serious athletes. Yeah, I think that's probably weird now. I mean, one of the things I did notice when, when I came here was that the kids really didn't do much training at all, you know, mm. compared to as you found out what the level is like in Aussie, you know, and um, and when we started to get more more structure and more quality into our sessions, it used to make me laugh because remember we were, used to work with percentages on the river and stuff like that, and mm. we'd have there'd be like you know twelve, fifteen, twenty kids there on boards and stuff, and we'd have to be working out the percentages, <laughs> and uh, some somebody, uh, what's hey Jazzy, what's sixty five percent of <laughs> you know? And no one would ever have a clue what it is. Like, hey, Maya, what's 65% of 180? And you go, do you have the answer straight away? And everybody else would just be laughing. I'd say, look at, I'd look at everybody else and say, what are you bastards doing at school? You know? <laughs> None of you guys know, you know. So I think that that's probably when I think everybody really got just started to get serious about uh, about what they're doing. And obviously the, the season went from four weeks to 11 months. Mm. And um and we were sort of into it then from that point. So 
it, you know, what what stage did you begin to think that it was possible to sort of go all the way, you know, in, in Great Britain and also, you know, in Europe? Des, when did that start to come into your mind that, you know, I could actually kick on with this? Yeah, I think, like I said, I've always had that, like, deep drive. I've I've always wanted to get to the top or always want to be successful at something. Um, and I think as the seasons went on, I became more and more successful. It was the years of training that I then had behind me that was that was letting me get it done. So I think my first national title um, was when I was 13 and I'd been training with you for about a year, I think. And I'd won, I won the golden nipper in the board race. And I was, I couldn't believe it. I thought, what, what, you know, I, didn't, I haven't really I've trained hard, but not that hard really. Um, I think I was just training harder than everybody else. You know, we were putting in the extra hours. Um, that was when I was 13. And then obviously after that, we trained harder the next year. And like you said, the season became longer and longer. I think at 14, 14 15, I went to my second GB trial. I went to my first one when I was 14. Um, it was more just, let's just try this out. Let's see what it's all about. I didn't know a lot about the GB scene then, but this is something that, I think I want to do. Um, obviously, I didn't come anywhere the first one. I think I was getting thirteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth, and i I didn't really I didn't really know if that was good or. I mean, obviously now I laugh at it and think, what the? Of course, I'm not going to get in on those results. But um, I was just going through the process, and then the following year I went again. I did a lot better. I was coming fourth and fifth, but again, of course, I didn't get in because. I was good, but I wasn't excellent at things. And obviously, not being excellent at things isn't going to win medals. It will score points, but it won't be the big points that we're after. So that was the year of France, the Rescue 2014 in Montpellier. And I was absolutely gutted that I missed that. You know, I that was where I wanted to be. I wanted to be at that world champ. And I, I was thinking, you know, this, I can't, I can't not get in again. Like, this isn't. I'm determined now to get in. This has to be it. So I put all my efforts into training the next year. And um, I got I got in um, when I was 16, got into the GB team. And my first international was the European Junior Championships in Alicante in Spain. And it was just the most amazing trip. And I managed to medal individually. And that for me was the absolute turning point. I thought, wow, like I, I, I've made a stand internationally. This I'm I, I'm I'm doing okay at this, and I think still then I wasn't training as hard as I could have been. I think we do struggle in the UK because of the climate and the weather issues that we have. You know, here it isn't a lifestyle really; it can't be because it's dark until eight a.m. in the morning. So there goes your five a.m. session if it's outdoors. But in Australia, it's their lifestyle, and that's understandable because they can they can live it as a lifestyle. But here it's more getting in and getting it done, like you say. So. I thought, you know, I've got to give this another crack again. Next year's going to be World Championships. I want to be on that plane to the Netherlands and I want to be, in, you know, in the top ranking. So, it, yeah, it, I think the, um, I think that the 2015 uh, European Junior Champs in Alicante was, yeah, you medaled. Um, I mean, at that, in that particular competition, the Irish girls were smashing it. Mm-hmm. They had some really good girls there. But, and, and obviously, Charlie Haynes, from our perspective, was just tearing the place apart. But it was also the first time that we uh, podiumed in an overall at an international for Great Britain, so that was exciting for everybody. And uh, but but the one thing that's come out of that was that you then knew that you could mix it up at a decent level. Totally, I think that trip 
um, changed my perspective on it a lot for a lot in a lot of ways. Watching Charlie medal in the pool setting it was it was a world record in the 50 carry um and then absolutely tearing them apart like you say on the beach was like i couldn't believe what i was seeing to be honest i thought this boy from portrice in cornwall where i live is absolutely tearing them apart the french the spanish the italians like they they're nowhere to be seen charlie's absolutely ripping them apart so he was a real um inspiration for me when we were there he showed everyone who was boss and obviously the whole team did really well i remember the morale on the trip was amazing everyone was so supporting each other i think when charlie won that 50 carry and smashed the world record we were on like a high for the rest of the comp you know we used that we rode on the wave and that made us all better but when we when we podiumed overall i thought wow this is amazing on my first gb trip i'm a part of something really special here we won i think we went we won the beach uh, competition i think yep. and then yeah we we were third overall so it was amazing and to be a part of that was it's something i'll never forget and yeah like you said the, the irish girls were again something to to be reckoned with and i thought hopefully this could be me next year or the next europeans because i want it to be like why not why can't it be me i use that competition as um, a learning curve i definitely made a few rookie errors completely and i kick myself for them now but i think if i hadn't made them i probably would have made them later on so i'm glad i made them then and not at the european championships two years later so it was i think that was probably my best trip to date i just enjoyed every moment of it i was just soaking it up i thought this might not ever happen again i hope it does but it might not so i'm just going to enjoy it and i enjoyed every minute of it so 2016 was the world championships in the netherlands uh, so your first world championships as part of them as a member of great britain tell us a little bit about those what's your memories from that competition i think the netherlands was a great comp i remember it being really hot when we were there actually it was like cold the day before the beach comp started and then it became really hot it was like um, a summer solstice it was really hot so i thought this is nice because i love racing in warm water um no wetsuits which i love i don't like the um when they call wetsuits i think it has to be the water has to be below 16 celsius for them to call you allowed to wear wetsuits or 17 i can't remember but it was over that anyway so they called no wetsuits and i was happy and i think i really liked the um scheduling of the races and obviously the world's is there's more countries there's more athletes so there's more heats and i love heat it gives me a chance to um suss out the competition just go through the motions i think i always like to have a race just to get my hair wet and go through the motions because it can be overwhelming otherwise and if your first race on the line is a final you know it's frightening it really is frightening so i i love the scheduling i love the heats i just went through the motions and um, I think my Iron Woman race was the best race I did. I, I think there was three heats for it. So I went through the heats nice and chill, just going through the motions. And then I raced in the final and I was fifth overall, which was probably my best result um, to date. So I was really happy with that. Um, and the team did really well again. You know, the, the girls medaled in Rescue Tube Rescue, which is a massive um, achievement at Worlds. And the um, overall beach results were great and there was a lot of new new members on the team one of them was my brother and he had a great competition as well so I think when everyone else around you is doing really well it makes you you want to do well as well you don't want to let the team down but 
you you like I said you ride on the wave of it and I think as people as in the, as the team gets better you know you get better with it so it was a great competition again and um, I loved the Netherlands actually it was a every time we go away on a trip it's a chance to see a new country that you might not have seen before so I really enjoyed the cultural side of it as well um, and that was it was a good shift um, at the competition overall. Definitely. I think it's really important when you go away that you do experience the cultural side of it, not just the competitive side of it, because it does make makes for a better trip all, all around, you know, and then it also relieves the pressure a little bit of having to having to perform and everyone everyone carries a little bit of pressure on those sorts of trips. But we roll through then to probably your greatest competition you've ever had, which was the European Junior Championships in 2017 in uh, in Belgium gold medals in the iron and also the board mm. so pretty fantastic yeah I was I was that was my end goal I think after worlds I reset I thought right what are my goals for this year and obviously I knew it was the Europeans I thought right well the goals have to be I want to I want to win the iron and the board and why not let's throw the swim in there as well let's let's triple crown it or you know let's see what we can do here um I knew it was a big ask but I thought well I've trained really hard for this why not why I've always been a believer of aiming high I think you should dream really big there's nothing wrong in that don't be ashamed to dream big so I did and I I wrote the goals the goals down I think for me goal setting is a massive part of life in all aspects I do it for uni and I do it for life and in my career so I did it in sport and we, we had a funny bet me and Louis had a funny bet with, with my dad we were in um we were racing at the uh, Welsh Championships in Swansea um just before it was like a warm-up competition before nationals and then it was going to go to the Europeans and um me and Louis said jokingly you know dad if 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 me and Louis win a European individual gold um can we shave your eyebrows off and, and draw them back on and we were pissing ourselves because we thought, oh, this will never happen. I thought I didn't think Louis would win a, an individual gold. I don't think he did either. And I, I was sort of doubting myself, just jokingly saying, you know, if we win, can, can we do this? And nationals um, beforehand was really successful for me. I won my first Open Iron Woman title and board title. And I thought, you know, you know, this I'm on. I'm I'm doing good this season. Everything's going how it should be. The training's training's going really well I'm not injured the, the mentality's in the right place and um and we we go over to Belgium on the coach and like as soon as we arrived at the hotel the nerves kicked in and I thought right this I have to use these now um use these nerves to my advantage I've, I've, I've in the past I've let my nerves get the better of me for definite and I couldn't let that happen this time I knew there was a lot on the line here so I was obviously stoked at the end to come away with two individual titles and a, a few team titles as well, which was amazing. And the whole team did incredibly well. Um, it was great to see, to be honest. And I was the captain as well. So to be captain of the of the team and for it to be so successful was just the icing on the cake for me. And what, what processes did you put in place to handle the nerves on that, on that occasion? I think every time a race it's slightly different. It depends how big the race is, but the basics are the same. You know, you don't overthink things. Know you know you've done the right training for it. Don't get ahead of yourself. Don't doubt the work you've put in. For me, you have to find what works for you. For me, I never like the small talk on the line. Um, a lot of the girls are really chatty, which is lovely, but I just am not. 
I'm not one of those people of before a race. I used to have a, a proper resting bitch face on me. I just didn't want to talk to anyone, even my even my dad or you, really, for that matter. I remember you used to come over and give me like a little pep talk. I can understand that. Yeah, yeah. So I think it depends on the person. But for me, I never enjoyed the small talk, and especially internationally, I would never um, mix and mingle with the um, athletes during or, or sorry before a race or during the preparation for one. Obviously, afterwards is a different story and. I was a, I was really good friends with a lot of the, uh, the girls internationally. I still am, so it was difficult for me not to do that. But I just knew that that was a distraction, so I wouldn't speak to anyone before a race. I just get my head in the game, and then I think, yeah, don't don't let it get don't let it get to you. Don't let the rate the nerves get to you. And I, I I always use it to my advantage. I think the adrenaline is a massive part of racing. You know why? Don't just try. Just take a deep breath and think. Right, this is what I'm setting out to achieve. I can achieve it. I just don't don't overthink it. Really, um, I know it's really hard, and it's easy to say that now. But at, on the time, it's really difficult to follow that through. But you've got to. Um, I think it was in yeah, it was in Belgium. Um, Grace Morgan's first international with GB, and um, she was losing it before the start of the swim race. She was so nervous. I've never seen anything like it. She was shaking and mum and dad were really worried. And I thought I, I, I had to do something. And for some reason, I think because I'd already won the board and the iron, I was sort of just really chilled for once. So I went over to her and I said, Grace, come on, get it together. Like sort yourself out. And she came out with a third in it in the end, which was amazing. Um, I didn't think she think she could do that. And she, she got a bronze medal. So it is literally just about getting a grip. And just getting in and doing it and don't, don't think it too much because it nerves can destroy you you know before a race yeah i fully i fully agree i always say to i say to people it's not until actually after the after the event you you just you realize that everything you were building into it wasn't what you thought it was going to be and yeah. it's uh, but it's only after it but you need to go back to that point and think what what you thinking you know that was just a waste of energy because you rely on on everything you've done, and uh, you know. And I think people also think about they think about the outcome and not the process. Totally. If you just focus on the process, um, the outcome will look after itself. But if you're thinking about the outcome, it's you, you're sort of a little bit ahead of yourself. So, I mean, that's definitely one thing I noticed about you on the line was that you, you there was zero bullshit, and you weren't interested in the banter. It's all the time. So, guys, to be honest with you, we're not there to find friends. For, <laughs> We're not there to look for followers on our Facebook site, you know, <laughs> smash them, you know, and we can be mates, it's, you know, but we're not there to be buddies with everybody. We're there to kick ass and then we'll worry about the other side of it later. So, and that's definitely one thing that, that I noticed about you. So, mate, after 2017, there was a decision made to head to Aussie for the for summer. You ended up at Corumban with Michael King. Legend coach, obviously, you couldn't get a goal winner, just all-round decent guy, um, been there, done that. How was the decision to go to Corum? Where was that made? I mean, I mean, your mum spoke to me a little bit about you going to Northcliffe or whatever, but uh, I sort of thought that the southern end of the Goldie was probably a better option. It's a little bit quieter and there's still some very good quality teams and athletes and clubs down there. So what, what, what was the decision? How was that made? I think I, in hindsight, I wish I'd researched it more. Um, hindsight is a wonderful thing and to be honest I was just so overwhelmed with the idea that I could be going and living there and, and like chasing the the dream so I spoke to Tom Bolt 
um, briefly at one of the pool championships um, the year before I left, and he he told me about his experience at Corumbin. And I'd always heard good things about Corumbin, and I I knew it was a it was on obviously like you said down the further end of, of the Gold Coast, uh, away from the hustle and bustle a little bit. And I sort of without hesitation sort of made a few inquiries. I got in contact with the Dowkers um, through Ryan Doble. Um, and then through the Dowkers, I got in contact with um, King Yi. So I, I I followed that process through, really. And, and before I knew it, I was out there on holiday after the international rescue in New Zealand. And then I, I moved to Crumbin. Um I think King, I mean, King Yi was amazing. He's a real top guy, top coach. And I really connected with him on a level that wasn't just competitive it was more a personal level as well so obviously I was away from home for the first time and he really looked out for me which was really nice and he was one of the first people when I was out there to say you know you need more strings to your bow don't just do this you need to do something else because I I always voiced to him my concerns about what do I do Kingy do I stay here and, and carry on or do I go home and study and he said, "You've got to do what what makes you happy, um, but make sure you know there's all you're always adding strings to your bow." And it was such amazing advice at a time that I was really confused what to do, and so I just I held on to that and and carried on, and I had a really amazing time there. You know, I the training was really intense, something that I'd never obviously experienced before, and I met, I made some really good friends, met some really nice people. Um, obviously experienced the cultural side of living away from home for the first time especially obviously on the other side of the world um, and then I had a great season out there for my first season um, I came in the top 10 in all my races at states I made a few Aussie finals so you know for the first time I was I was happy with it but of course there's always that part of you that thinks oh I could have done this I could have done that and I think that's the reason why we do these things you know it's a learning curve um, and if I was to go again, then I would do things differently for sure. So what things would you do differently? Um, well, first thing, I, I wouldn't go back to Corumbin, actually. I would, I'd go down to Sydney. I'd go to the Northern Beaches. My, I, I found your chat with Trent really interesting the other week, actually, because obviously he was at Manly and then he coaches at Newport. And he made a really good point that the um, setup in Sydney and further down the coast is a lot different to the Gold Coast you know you mentioned pokies and the money that the clubs on the Gold Coast have compared to Sydney and I do think that impacts on the training you know the money and the funding side of it does impact on the training and I know a lot of the clubs on the Gold Coast pay and draft in their their um, athletes so that's why Georgia Miller made the move from Newport to Northcliffe so I think for me I would go to Sydney I'd like to try um, the club's out in Sydney and I think it offers a different perspective as a place as well. I did like Corumbin. It was a lovely town. Dugan was where I lived, just out of Corumbin. But further up the Gold Coast, it just wasn't my scene. It was a bit tacky. The I think it reminded me of Nuki a lot, actually, just a larger larger than Nuki. Um, and I, I sort of wanted to get away from that. That's sort of why I left home. So I think if I was to do it differently, I'd definitely go to Sydney, try the training out there. Obviously, the climate's slightly different. It's a bit colder. And I think the training would be different as well. I think the goals of the clubs in Sydney might be slightly different to the ones um, on the Gold Coast. A lot of the ones in Sydney don't do the Cool and Gatter Gold. Some of them do, but a lot of them don't. 
I think also the training in Sydney, they as a club, I think there's more attention on individual athletes. And I think this, of, of course, it's a business at the end of the day. Um, but for anyone that's going out there, like myself, you've got to be prepared not to be, you know, in the spotlight all the time. Kingy's got other athletes that he's got um, earning more points than you who are winning more titles. So his focus is going to be on them more than anything. And I think you've really got to accept that and realize that before you go, because it's a lot different than home. You know, the, there's not as as much focus on one individual athletes. You're expected to get on with it yourself, put in the work. And and I enjoyed that, but I just wasn't used to it, I think. What, what differences do you... would did you find between yourself and some of the other girls in the in the Corumban squad that you thought that possibly that they were maybe doing better that they, they, they were competing at a better level than you? Why do you think that was? I mean, I, I doubt they're going to be mentally tougher than you. I doubt they're going to cope with the workload better than you. But what, what do you think? What do you think the difference is? I think the main difference to me is that here, like I said, it's not a lifestyle. So if you've grown up here. And, um, you know, life savings, just something you do for fitness or, you know, you get in when you can because the weather's bad and it's cold. Then you know, you're never going to be as good as someone that gets in every morning at 5 a.m. There's a two hour swim set, trains after that, goes to school, does a full day at school or work, then gets back in the water again for another two hours, does a run set and then goes home. It's, you're just not going to be as good. Um, I think the level's completely different, and of course, it's understandable. I'm not blaming it on the the culture that we have here, but I do think it's a massive um, difference. So when I went there, I felt like I was already behind. The girls my age and even younger were smashing me, and I had no shame in that at all. I think it's great that so many young girls are so eager to get in and 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 compete. But you know, they have a different life than us. I I can't imagine what it'd be like to grow up in Oz and and you know live that lifestyle it's something that I would I would love to try as 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 a kid but obviously that that has gone now um but I do think they get the kids involved a lot younger it's integrated into their life um so that is their routine it's not just something on the side it's something they do every day day in day out um and I think the mentality is completely different you know for them the sport is so much um so recognized in like nationally in the country that so many of them do it you know it's just normal i think here it's such a minority sport that you can't really talk about it without people saying what's what's life-saving you know i went told anyone at uni that that's what i did they'd be like you mean surfing or you mean swimming like they wouldn't i don't think they'd get the sport whereas obviously in oz it's completely different so i think those are the two main differences really so did that difference, did that make, did that play on your mind in relation to what was going to happen, you know, after that trip? Yes. Um, the, the thing that I was thinking the whole time when I was there was, right, I've got to make a decision here because obviously time is ticking. I am 18 now. I'm going to be 19. I've already missed technically a year. I've taken a gap year. So I'm almost a year behind everyone that's at uni. And I thought, I this uni is something I really want to do here. I want to give it a really good go. I I've always known that I've wanted something more, and unfortunately, like I said, in this country, the 
the system works that you know you go to uni and that's that's it really like you can't do anything else at a higher level because your time's so occupied with assignments and other things you've got to do with uni so I mean I was chatting to Nina Marsh one of the French uh, racers the other day who's in Oz and she had to give it up fully she still she lives there now she lives on the Gold Coast um, at Mermaid Beach but she gave it up because she went to uni and she just couldn't hack doing uni and doing life-saving at high level it's just it's so difficult you have to be prepared to give everything up have no social life and really really get stuck in and even then I think it would be difficult to do both at a high level yeah I mean over here like it's in UK that is it's I mean in Sydney obviously I've got you know lots of mates in Sydney whose kids compete at a good level and they um but they go to uni but in sydney and, and maybe on the gold coast as well uni, uni is right there so you don't have to leave home you can live at home quite easily and go to uni and still continue to train whereas here generally kids have to go away don't they they go to london or go to uh, liverpool uh, like you've done and, yeah. uh, and i suppose but but the thing is how come you just got out of the sport you didn't think well i mean there's plenty of uni holidays you could still was it the fact that you didn't think you'd be able to compete at the level you needed to compete at? Is that was that the driver to you to walk away from the sport? Um, I think for me, I thought I always thought that if I wanted to give it a go, I really would give it a go. I don't like doing things um, half-assed. I, I'm I really want to give things a go, so I thought I need to choose. I can't I can't do both. Um, and for me, not going to uni was never an option. It was always something I wanted to do. And for me. After I've been to Oz, I obviously, of course, you make a realization that, wow, these guys here are amazing. Like they're at a different level. If I want to give it a go, I'm going to have to stay here and go through the seasons, go through the rounds until I get myself to the same level as them and then even beyond. And that could take years. And I didn't know that I had that to give. Who knows if I'd stuck at it, you know, and, and stayed there, who knows where I'd be right now? Cause I would have only been a year o- over where I'd been already. So, for me, I had to make a decision. And whilst I was in Oz, I had a few really enlightening conversations. And one of them was with Amanda Calabrese, who's in the US National Lifesaving Team. And she has decided the same thing. You know, this can't continue. We both have these aspirations to be something more. We, we have to make a decision. And I thought, I thought about it long and hard. It wasn't a decision I made overnight whatsoever and I really struggled to make it I knew that uni was something I wanted but I thought what are people gonna think what if what if I'm making the wrong choice what if I should stay here and do this you know you just will never know but as soon as I got to my first day um at LJMU I knew I'd made the right decision I just I felt like I'd found my place again I felt for for a bit of time which was really sad actually in a sport that I'd grew up in I felt like I'd I'd lost my place a little bit and I'd lost my purpose and I felt that I could find my happiness again in something else and like I I, I always say this to people I say like you can you can find success anywhere you want if you get, if you try something really hard and you put the hard work in you can find it anywhere and I I need to listen to my own advice um and I just decided right this is what I'm going to do and admittedly I could have done it a bit better I think I could have bowed out in a different way I decided when I came back to go back in the rounds again after a bit of persuasion by my dad and go at the GB trials one last time and I just knew it wasn't right I went to one of the um trials I think it was a 
in yeah it was in Devon I just wasn't feeling it I I hated every minute of it and I've never experienced that before I just knew it wasn't right I didn't want to be there and I had a really um somber uh, uh conversation with my dad on the way home and I just said dad I don't why am I doing this I don't want to do this anymore he said chick are you sure are you sure you don't want to do this anymore like have a really good thing about it and I did I thought about it for a few weeks and then I decided no this this isn't right I either had to go to Oz and really really stick at it and give it a go or I had to come back and I came back so I think to a lot of people it looks like a surface level decision but it wasn't it was a really hard decision I had to make and part of me still thinks well what if I'd gone to Oz and stayed there but I think for now I'm really happy with the decision I made to to leave and and move on to something else. So you're studying construction design up in Liverpool mate what will Maya Garner bring to the world of construction design do you think? Um, I, for me, construction's a really exciting sector to be a part of at the minute. It's the biggest industry in the UK. Um, women are becoming at the forefront of it. And I think what's amazing for me to see is that, you know, 30 years ago when my granddad was, um, he was an engineer out in Saudi Arabia, he would never have imagined that women would be involved so heavily like they are now. And now his granddaughter's um, studying for a degree in it and she's going to hopefully go on and and work somewhere that she can put a stamp on so for me I'd really like to to share a different perspective and and I think from my experiences as a young person of traveling and um, backpacking and and seeing the world I've seen the dramatic change that the construction has had on major cities and that's really exciting for me to be a part of I think everything we do construction is involved in subconsciously and consciously and it's it, it makes me happy inside that I, I get to be a part of that and it's nice that I found something that I really associate joy with again that I felt like I'd lost in sport and I felt like I had no purpose I finally associated that with something else now and I've, I've gone to uni and I've made um some really great friends and some good good contacts and I feel like I'm finally getting somewhere with this now and I'm really excited to see you know what happens after I've graduated and see where I end up you know I know you never know I might end up back in Australia and I might be picking the sport back up again you just don't know do you so it's exciting yeah I mean, what have you learned in sport that you could take on to, to your career, do you think? Oh, I, I don't know where to start, you know, with that. There's so much that I've learned. Accountability is a massive one. You know, I love that saying, fail to prepare, prepare to fail. You've got to be accountable for your actions. You've got to be accountable for the work you've done and know that, you know, you've done that to your best ability. Hopefully that will carry you through. Fight for it attitude. I've always felt, felt like I've always had that, but sport's really, you know, put the fire in me for that. So, I love that. And I think never giving up, you know, that's that comes into that. Sportsmanship's a massive part of it. You know, I I, I remember that, um, was it 2009, 2010, the Nationals, the Nipper Nationals were held in Gilly. And um, I'd never met Izzy Burks before. And she, I raced her for the first time. And in the heat, she absolutely whooped me. And I never saw her come in. And I, I was like, well, who, the, who the heck's this, you know? Where'd she come from? So I thought I had it in the bag. This was back when I was a sprinter, God, those days. And um, and then I thought, right, you know, I've got to beat her in the final here. And um, and she didn't see me coming because she, I was so far behind her in the heats. And she thought that was, that was it, you know, managed to just pip her on the post. And um, me and Izzy have been friends ever since. Like, she obviously didn't like losing as much as I did. But, you know, we, we've, we've held that friendship up all these years. You know, we've raced internationally together and competed on the same team. So 
for me that's a massive thing I'll take away from sport and like the integrity passion attitude everything commitment everything in sport you know you can apply that to life and I think that's so important for young people that sport really is a massive it's not just an extracurricular activity you do you know it really is a life learning curve and think young people can take that away and apply that to life you know they're doing really well if they can do that so I think sport is really really great for young people to be involved in and how important is it from your perspective for kids coming through to obviously obviously be dedicated to to their chosen sport but also in the other half of their brain they they're they're confident that they're pursuing a something academically or career-wise that will will take the pressure off them having to focus on sport? Yeah, I mean, I'm a massive believer of that. I think having a backup plan is really important. Uh, you know, school, it might be a backup to plan for some people, and that's absolutely fine if it is. Like, you might want to go after something else, which is great. But I'll use Ali Day as an example. He broke his both of his wrists last year. And he had a backup plan, luckily. He co-owned a gym on the Gold Coast. You know, if he, he couldn't use his hands again after that, God forbid, then he would be lost if he didn't have a backup plan. So, you know, really fortunate for him that he did. But other than that, for me, you know, career a career outside of sport wasn't a backup plan for me ever. I, I always wanted something more. Um, and, and sport was a stepping stone for me to bigger things. But I also think as a key point, school and learning and university or anything that you do like that I think we should never take it for granted because for me some con- some in some countries young people can't go to school it's not safe they're not allowed it might be illegal and we have the use of that mostly for free it's safe we meet and make new friends it's just such an amazing forum that we have used to and I think it should never be taken for granted so even if you absolutely hate school I mean I loved it but Louis hated it I know lots of people that hated it my dad hated it he was no good at school but he always went you know make use of that you might not like it and it might just be a backup plan but I think it's really important to make use of it so keep adding string to your bows definitely Mate, good advice, absolutely. Well, we're 52 minutes in, MG, so we need to uh, – we're going to have a few short answer questions, hopefully, and then we can put a wrap on this one. Uh, what advice would you give to a 15- or 16-year-old or a young a young surf lifesaver that wants to uh, wants to achieve success in surf lifesaving? Uh, dream big. Don't ever give up. If you want something, go out and get it, and you can apply that to life too. You know, just don't ever give up and don't be afraid to dream big. What's your favourite event you like to compete in? Um, Iron Women or Taplin, definitely. I mean, that'd be, Taplin probably my favourite because it's like the excitement at the end of the comp. You know, everyone's excited to finish. Everyone knows that we can smash Taplin. GB were always really good at it as well, so I absolutely love that one. Yeah, actually, uh, I saw a, um, a replay the other day of um, the Aussie Taplin final in, it was like a long time ago, 2008 or 2009. It's arguably the biggest competition at Aussies now, isn't it? Like the oh, massive. Oh man, it's just it's just amazing. Yeah. Uh, Olympic champion or millionaire? Olympic champion every day of the week. I for me, if you're gonna be smart about it, you could make an Olympic champion into a millionaire easily. Think about Serena Williams, Olympic champion, now she's a millionaire beyond that, you know. And also Olympic champion is the eternal glory of that. I can't even imagine what it's like to win an Olympic title. It would be like in, in crazy, yeah. What's your hardest ever training session? Ooh, um, I think 
either max irons with max shuttle runs or the swim set that I did in Corumbin a few years ago was four 100s max off two minutes, four 100s off 120, four 100s off 120 on 110 pace times by five. That was just the most excruciatingly challenging, mentally and physically challenging session I've ever done. It was absolutely ridiculous. I was I was bloody glad to get home by the end of that. While we're on um, on the Goldie, what just run me through just your basic day, just so people people over here will understand, like in a fully structured set, like a, a fully structured surf club. Yeah, uh, training program. Yeah, yeah. Well, give us a rundown of the day. What's what was the MG day like? Right, so I'll give you Thursday because that was like roughly they were all about the same, apart from Saturdays and Sundays, which was an iron and a rest day. So uh, Thursday, I'd wake up at four a.m. I'd leave the house at four thirty. I'd cycle to swimming, uh, which is about 2K from my house. Um, I'd stretch like for 10 minutes just before we hopped in the pool and we'd, we'd get briefed the session. And then 5am to 7am was our swim set and that was about 6, 7K and that was in a 50 metre like Olympic pool. Um, I'd then cycle home. I'd have breakfast. I'd have a quick nap. And then at 3.30, um, I would um, head make my way down to the club. I'd do four lots of four chin-ups. So Kingy was adamant that we had to do that every time we got in the before we got in the water. So they had like a chin-up bar attached to the um, entrance to the surf club. So we'd do four by four chins. Then we'd um, jump in for a board session, which is about an hour. Um, that was just based around the nets, the shark nets. We'd go out to the shark nets and back. And it was like those in and out sort of sessions. Um We'd hop straight into a 30, 40 minute run session, which was based around like 100 meter sprints. I'd cycle home, have dinner, stretch, and then be in bed by 9 p.m. And that was my day. And it's, um, and I, I bet you actually did stretch before you went to bed as well. <laughs> yeah, you know it, definitely. It wasn't just on the program, was it? You did it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mate, um, what would be the title of the MG autobiography, do you think? Oh God, this makes me laugh because obviously I don't know anything. I don't, I don't know enough to even write a page of an autobiography, but if, if I had to do it now, it would be 20 going on 30 because, you know, why not? Is that because you're more mature than the average 20 year old, <laughs> I think? Or? Uh, maybe, or maybe just because, I don't know, I just, I, I'm getting old, Woody. It's quite scary, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got it. <laughs> Mate, your best race you ever, best race you think you ever did? Oh, um... Either the Iron Woman at European Championships in 2017 when I won, or um, I did the interclubs in Wales in 2015, and it was like my first sort of international. And I I love that race. I did really well actually. I was it was a neck and neck between four of us, and I got fourth. And it was really hard to take at the time, but it was a great race. So that one or the inter, uh, the Iron Woman in 2017. Mate, how would your friends describe you? This is difficult. <laughs> I mean, they'll probably all describe you differently, but I think I'm definitely a glass half full person. Um, I'm very stubborn, like too stubborn, probably. I'm focused. I think they'd say supportive, ambitious, grounded, um, massive foodie. Like I'm obsessed with like food. So maybe that would be the last one. Um, this is also another tricky one. Um, <laughs> a famous person that you think you look like. Well, I don't know who I look like. That's really difficult to answer. But Louis, I mean, he might have said this because, oh, I don't know, but he thinks I look like Demi Moore because I have short hair now. So, you know, ghost Demi Moore, maybe. I don't know. 
Uh, sporting hero. Who's your, who's your sporting hero? Um, Billie Jean King for me. You know, she tennis player. She fought for equal rights for men and women, equal pay. Um, she's just a massive inspiration for me in life as well. But, yeah, a massive sporting hero. She's super cool. What about uh, your dream sporting goals? You've still got one of those. Uh, or just a life goal? My life goal is to be happy, you know, be happy in everything you do. Um, I don't really have like a specific life goal. I think just have goals at every stage of your life. I do really want to do the London Marathon. So maybe that could be my like sport, sporting goal. Maybe go sub. I'd like to go sub three and a half hours in, this, in the marathon. That would be good. Sub three hours would be a push, yeah. but yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, for sub 3.30 is a uh, five minute K pace. So. Yeah, that would be think- good. I think you got that. Yeah. yeah. Anything you want to say, just as we wrap it up, anything you want to say? Uh, and also is um, if anyone, any of the girls, any girls or guys or anybody wants to contact you to have a chat about stuff, you know, yeah. you're 19 or 20, but you've, you've racked a bit of experience up. So if someone wants to contact you, uh, are you cool with that and how would they do that? And, yeah, just, just, just an open forum if you want to say anything about anything and we'll wrap it all up. Perfect. Well, for me... Please, 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 if you have any questions about a season in Oz or racing at international level or just anything, if you want technique help, I mean, I can't promise to solve all the problems in the world, but I would love to help. So if anyone wants to get into contact with me and ask any questions or anything, then please do. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram, Maya Garner. So, yeah, please give me a message. Don't be afraid. And um, I'm definitely here to help because I think that's really important. I'd love to give back. And just want to say thanks Woody you know I'm it's amazing to be on your podcast I you you made me into a really serious athlete and a a better person so I just want to thank you it's really special for me to be on here um and I I just want to wrap up and say you know one of my favorite things you ever said um was don't let your dreams remain dreams you said that in uh, my first europeans in spain and it's it's such a relevant thing and I, I keep that with me now so thank you um yeah thanks for having me right you would have uh, you make it on your own without me there's no doubt about that um <laughs> Sure, I'm not sure where I got that saying from, though, but I actually quite like it myself. But, I love um, it. Yeah, it's a, it's a brilliant quote. Yeah, it's cool. Um, listen, I really appreciate you giving me some time. I mean, we've all got a little bit of time these days, don't we? But yeah. um, <laughs> let's hope that uh, over the next couple of weeks that, um, I mean, I think, you know, down in Cornwall, we're doing it a little bit better. There's a lot of people doing a lot harder than us these days and uh, in the UK. So, um, yeah, look, thank you for your time and, uh, mate, we'll catch up. Whenever, I think. Definitely, yes. Stay safe, everyone. Thanks, Woody. Take care, buddy. See ya. See ya.